are Hope Church Guildford. This is a recent recording from our Sunday morning gathering online. Please go to www.hopechurchguildford.com for more details. We look forward to getting to know you. Hello, good morning and welcome to Hope Church. My name's Chris and I'm so pleased that you streamed in to be with us together today. I want to ask you a question. Are you fed up? Are you fed up? Like, are, when are lockdown measures going to ease? Like, this, this is boring. This is going on now for too long. There doesn't seem to be an end in sight. Have you been uh, wondering about how your university placements and, uh, and schooling is going to work out? Are, are you thinking about the grandkids and struggling with not being able to see them. Maybe you're wondering about whether you should send your kids back to school or not, or, or you're just upset about your, your holiday plans. Maybe your finances are, are a little bit all over the place because of the situation that we're in. Maybe you're struggling to figure out whether it's right to go back into the workplace and you're worried about if it should be safe or not. Maybe you've been at home and you're just getting a bit bored because you've been on furlough for several weeks now and you've got many more weeks to go and that your future is uncertain and you're not sure how it's all going to pan out. Are you a bit fed up? You know, we've been going through the book of Daniel who could have had all sorts of these feelings because he was also thrown into an unexpected and unprecedented circumstances. Everything for him was changed from his name to what he ate, how he learned, but he shows us how to have faith in a real world, which is our series title. Daniel was uh, taken into captivity by the Babylonians from where he used to live in Judea, uh, in Israel, the people of God. He was exiled and he was ruled by King Nebuchadnezzar and then Belshazzar and then King Darius the Mede and then Cyrus the Persian. And basically he was in Babylon for the whole of his entire life. His lockdown lasted for all of his existence. And he went through all sorts of, you know, with all the different kings and rulers, he went through all sorts of different accusations. He was thrown to the lion's den. He saw his friend being thrown into the fiery furnace. And he would have had emotions that went up and down throughout it all. It would have been easy for him to get to the point where he was just fed up, really. We've read out during these first six chapters how Daniel kept his faith in God. He's a great example to us about how to do that. And in these last few chapters, we see really what that faith has been based on, which has been like a future hope. He's been having these dreams and visions of what the future holds. And he's been given heaven's perspective. And that has given him a great hope for what is to come. Last week we heard about how he saw the Ancient of Days seated on a throne and that was the real centrepiece of the vision and of the book and even of the whole Bible as we excellently heard from Phil. We also saw how um, glorified with the Ancient of Days was this one that looked like the Son of Man, Jesus himself, as he proclaims over and over again in the Gospels. Uh, this one who's not formed by human hands but from God come to this earth to meet with us, identify with us and restore us to a relationship back with him. 
Daniel showed great faith and he had a wonderful hope for the future. And so this morning I have entitled my talk, A Present Faith and Future Hope. We're going to read Daniel chapter 8. And just uh, like last week, it's going to be a vision that Daniel has. And this is written in this style of apocalyptic writing. And it's good just to remind ourselves that apocalyptic writing is its three things. It's prophetic. And so it's it's uh, looks into and explains future events. But it also tells us about present realities. It's symbolic. And so we're going to come up against rams and, and goats and we're going to have horns. And these aren't to be taken literally, but they are symbolic. And in fact, in this chapter, an angel interprets, interprets who these people represent. And also um, apocalyptic writing is encouraging. When we read books like Daniel and, and Revelation and other apocalyptic writing, then we should read it and be encouraged. That's what biblical apocalyptic writing is about. We shouldn't ever read it and be fearful or anxious. Actually, this presents us a wonderful future hope, heaven's perspective of all that is to come and how God views our lives in the situations that we're in. And so it's really meant to bring great encouragement. And that's how we're supposed to read it and get out of it. So what we're going to do then is... In this chapter, we are presented with Daniel's vision. He, he writes that down. And then after his vision, he an angel comes in, interprets the vision and tells him what the vision's about. Rather than reading the whole chapter in that order, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read the vision, but I'm going to pause. And, and as I pause, I'll insert the interpretation so we can understand as we go along what is happening. So let's read Daniel chapter eight. In the third year. Of King Belshazzar's reign, I, Daniel, had a vision after the one I had already appeared to me. That was Daniel chapter 7. In my vision, I saw myself in the citadel of Susa in the province of Elam, and in the vision, I was beside the Ulai Canal. So, in terms of a timeline which I'll appear across uh, today's uh, vision, we're around the, the late 500 BC. And because of the physical locations given in this chapter, actually, we can pinpoint what is about to proceed. We can pinpoint the date and we can pinpoint who Daniel is talking about. We can do that partly because of the, the locations that has been given us, also because of the interpretation given by the angel who lists who some of these people are. And also because we have the wonderful um, hindsight that we can look back and we can see history unfold and how it laid out. Do you know what? In fact, the vision that is given is so accurate that scholars and theologians have debated exactly when the book was written. So much so that's led some people to believe that Daniel really wasn't a, a real character. Actually, he was he was a kind of a myth that was conjured up from may, maybe many different people and that the book was really written in the, the sort of first century, second century B.C., but there's a wonderful book by John Lennox, I'm not going to go into it today, where he, he and many authors actually are convinced that, no, the Daniel that we read about in the Bible did really exist. He, these things did happen to him and that those they happened in the late 5th century BC. And we can be confident of that for, for many different reasons which he lays out. 
So if you want to know more, check out John Lennox's his book and the other authors too. And so verse three says this, I looked up and there before me was a ram with two horns standing beside the canal and the horns were, were long. One of the horns was longer than the other, but grew up later. I watched the ram as it charged towards the west and the north and the south. No animal could stand against it and none could rescue from its power. It did as it pleased and became great. In verse 20, the angel interprets this part and it says, The two-horned ram that you saw represents the kings of Media and Persia. And so this this ram, that was certainly what happened, is that Babylon was there and this, this, this ram, the Medes and the Persians, they came in and they stretched out the land as far as north and south and west. They conquered the whole area on that one night. We read about it a few chapters before when Belshazzar was slain in that one evening. And we know that King Darius, he was the king of the Medes and uh, Cyrus was the king of Persia. And the reason why one longest horn is longer is because Persia was was a greater power than than the Medes and a bit like last week we heard about the bear was hunched up on one side and you know one half of of that dual kingdom was stronger well it's the same it's the same uh, people group uh, just instead of represented as a bear this week is represented as this ram with two horns this is around 539 BC that the Medes and Persians took over and just as happened, just as it happened in Daniel's vision, they they came, yeah, and they they conquered, and and no one could stand their pressure against them. Verse five carries on. As I was thinking about this, suddenly a goat with a prominent horn between its eyes came from the west, crossing the whole earth without touching the ground. It came toward the two-horned ram I had seen standing beside the canal. And charged at it in great rage. I saw it attack the ram furiously, striking the ram and shattering its two horns. The ram was powerless to stand against it. The goat knocked it to the ground and trampled on it. And none could rescue the ram from its power. The goat became very great. But at the height of its power, the large horn was broken off. And in its place, four prominent horns grew up toward the four winds of heaven. So... Just like the ram represented the Medes and the Persians, the goat also represents uh, another king and kingdom. In verse 21, the angel tells Daniel, the shaggy goat is the king of Greece and the large horn between its eyes is the first king. Again, we know that um, from the interpretation that Greece it came, it did come from the West and, and it took over the whole of the Mede and the Persian Empire. The, the Greek Empire was vast and the king who was leading the way was Alexander the Great. He invaded quickly, so fast, it's like that picture that the, the, the goat's feet barely touched the ground because it was coming at such great speed. And this is around 340 BC in our timeline. Then we found out later on that that one horn was broken off and then four horns came after it. The angel interprets this and tells Daniel in verse 22, the four horns that replaced the one that was broken off represent four kingdoms that will emerge from his nation, but will not have the same power. 
And sure enough, as history testifies, Alexander the Great was preceded or followed by four kings and kingdoms. When Alexander died, there was no kind of obvious successor. And so for many years, there was kind of struggle and strife as different people try to uh, take power for themselves. And uh, ultimately, the kingdom, this massive Greek kingdom was divided into four. So this is around 300 BC in our timeline. So uh, the four kingdoms were Macedonia and Greece, which were ruled by Cassander, uh, Thrace and Asia Minor, Asia Minor, which was ruled by um, Lysicimus. Um, we had northern Syria and Mesopotamia, which was ruled by Seleucus. And then Ptolemy took the southern Syria and Palestine and Egypt. These symbols, uh, these kingdoms and these kings were symbolized by those four horns in Daniel's dream. Verse nine continues. Out of one of them came another horn which started small but grew in power to the south and to the east and toward the beautiful land, that's Jerusalem. It grew until it reached the host of heavens and it threw some of the starry hosts down to the earth and trampled on them. It set itself up to be as great as the commander of the army of the Lord. It took away the daily sacrifice from the Lord and, its, and his sanctuary was thrown down. Because of the rebellion of the Lord's people, the daily sacrifice was given over to it. It prospered in everything it did. And truth was thrown to the ground. Remember, this is a, a vision that Daniel is having. And you might be so far in the passage thinking, how, how, does it, how is this relevant to me? Don't worry, we'll, we'll apply it. But this part of the vision, the angel interprets it like this. In verse 23, it says this, in the latter part of their reign, when rebels have become completely wicked, a fierce looking king, a master of intrigue will arise. He will become very strong but not by his own power. He will cause astounding devastation and will succeed in whatever he does. He will destroy those who are mighty. That's the holy people. He will cause deceit to prosper. He will consider himself superior. When they feel secure, he will destroy many and take his stand against the prince of princes. Yet he will be destroyed, but not by human hands. See, whilst the angel does not name him, we know that at the end of the reign of the four kingdoms, there comes a ruler who, just like has been explained, he thinks he is superior than everyone else. And he destroys the, the Jewish practices. In fact, he even sets himself up as a statue in the most holy of holies, in the temple where the Jewish people would go and worship. He, he stopped all temple worship and he tried to basically make a one kind of universal religion which is basically worshiping himself you probably already know who he is but if you don't his name was Antiochus the fourth and he called himself Epiphanes which means God manifest in fact lots of the ancient gods the statues and the pictures we have of them were based on this guy because he thought of himself as as so great and mighty just like the 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 dream that Daniel had remember this is three to four hundred years before all of this took place um all of this happened and he did indeed um, really 
throw down uh, the people of God. He caused them great harm. He, he, like I said, he stopped their temple worship. He, he put up himself in the Holy of Holies, his own statue where God should be, where God is worshipped. In fact, he was so horrendous to the Jews. He slayed a pig, which is the most dirty animal in Jewish culture. And he, he slayed that on the altar and sacrificed that in the temple. It was horrendous. This took place around 167 BC. And do you know what? Then there was a big revolt of the Maccabees. A few years later, the Maccabees rose up and uh, in 164 BC, they managed to get Jerusalem back. And Daniel, having seen this abomination of desolation, it came to fruition. The, the Jewish people actually still celebrate the, the Festival of Lights. We, they call it Hanukkah. And they celebrate that, that victory that they had over this abomination that took place. Daniel saw all of this in his dreams. And then towards the end of it, it says this in verse 13. Then I heard a holy one speaking and another holy one said to him, how long will it take for this vision to be fulfilled? The vision concerning the daily sacrifice, the rebellion that causes the desolation, the surrender of the sanctuary, the trampling underfoot of the Lord's people. And, and the other one, he said to me, it's going to take 2,300 evenings and mornings. Then the sanctuary will be reconsecrated. At the very end of the interpretation in verse 27, the angel says to Dan, uh, after the angel have told Daniel the interpretation, Daniel says, I, Daniel, was worn out. I lay exhausted for several days. Then I got up and went about the king's business. I was appalled by the vision. It was beyond understanding. So there you have Daniel chapter 8. Daniel in yeah late 500 BC has this dream this is uh, after Nebuchadnezzar has died in between Belshazzar's uh, taken over and Daniel has this dream and he kind of writes it down and he seals it up and this dream spans over the next sort of four to five hundred years and and having had this dream having seen what's going to happen he is absolutely exhausted you know, he, he, he's probably hoping for a future day and, and that day just seems to be in the far distant future. It's quite easy that he would have been fed up because, you know, he, he's been in exile, he's been overtaken and he'd be hoping to go back home. And, and yet now he has this vision that's going to just span eternity. And, and then the, the angel says to him, well, it's going to be 2,300 evenings and, and mornings. And we'll talk about that number a little later on. But Daniel sees it and he is shattered. He is exhausted and he's probably fed up. At the end, it says that he, having lay exhausted, he then got up and he went about the king's business. He went about daily life. He goes about serving with grace, honour, humility, integrity and honesty to the king that rules over him and to the kingdoms that are going to rule over him too. How did he do that? How, how on earth did, did Daniel kind of cope with seeing all that's to come and still have this faith and this hope in God and all that he might do? Well, let's talk about those two things, a present faith and a future hope. You know, 
the reason why Daniel could have a present faith was because God had revealed himself to Daniel. He, Daniel had had dreams where God had revealed himself, things that he hadn't revealed to anyone else. And, and it made him able to go and tell the kings the dreams and, and interpret it. Dan, uh, God had revealed himself to Daniel through his relationship. We know that Daniel prayed three times a day. It was out of that relationship. It was a routine that he built in, that he knew God and he walked with God daily. And we also know that Dan, uh, God revealed himself to Daniel through scripture, through, through the word of God. Daniel knew his Bible. He knew his scripture. He, he knew God and loved him. You know, we can also have a present faith because God reveals himself to us. In much the same ways, he reveals himself to us through his spirit and his spirit can can speak to us and and speak to our hearts and our souls. that We know that we are loved and cherished and and that there is hope for the future. He he can speak to us, our inmost being, even when we don't understand, even when we're going through horrendous situations. We can have a, a peace on our lives and we know we're secure in his grip. He can speak to us through scripture. And he does. You know, the Bible tells us that the word of God is living and active. And you can you can read Daniel chapter eight. You might have done it 10 years ago and it spoke to you about one thing. And then you read it again. It speaks to you again. It's because it's living and it's active. And, and as we read God's word, it speaks to us a fresh and new way. It's why the Bible never gets old. It's why it's, it's been existed for thousands of years. And, and people are continually finding source of, of richness out of its words. It's a living and active book that speaks to us, not just a bit of dead old mythical literature. And of course, God revealed himself to us through his son, Jesus. He revealed himself. Jesus identified with us and walked this earth and spoke to us. And, and we have testimony from, from hundreds of people that, that met him and, and they're recorded in the Gospels. And we, we can see uh, the impact that God had on this earth as he came in the form of Jesus' son and then laid down his life for, for us that we may know him and have a relationship with him. God has revealed himself to us. And so we can have a present faith. In the midst of crisis, like Daniel, we can live knowing that God is with us and won't leave us. And so you might well be exhausted by lockdown. Maybe lockdown has has exhausted you in ways because, you know, you're thinking about, do I send my kids back to school or not? You know, maybe you're frustrated with the uncertainty of your university placement or or your 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 degree or education. And how is this going to work out? Maybe you're you're nervous about whether going back to work is going to be safe or not. And if you're even going to have work to go back to. Maybe you're struggling with not seeing the, the kids or the grandkids or, or just family members. And, and it's just a bit of crisis. You know, Daniel and his friends, they faced the trials of life, knowing that God was more committed to their long term joy than even themselves. What? Yeah. God more committed to my joy than even myself am. And so that means I am able to trust him and put my faith in him. You know, what that means for us is that God is more committed to your education and to your well-being than even yourself. And so he has this in his hand. You can trust him. God is more committed to your children than even you are. So whilst it's really easy and and I know as parents, we are debating, do we send the kids back to school or not? Well, you know, we can worry and we can struggle, but 
really our children are God's children. They are God's and he has given them to us parents for a season. And it's a great joy and it's a privilege, but God is more committed to them than we are. And so we can trust God that whether we send them to school or not, actually, he has their best interests at heart. We know that God can turn all things to good for those who love him. And, and if we love him, which I'm sure many of us do, then, then we can trust that whether they go to school or not, actually, that God can work it to their good. And, and we can trust him in that. We can pray and we can ask wisdom from God. But, you know, there's no holy thing, whether you do or you don't. There's no holy thing. In fact, a, a lot of what Daniel and his friends went through, they weren't black and white. Sure, there were some things. Do I bow down to this idol or not? Well, no, I'm not going to do that. It's black and white. It's easy. But do I allow them to change my name? Yes or no? They, they went with yes. Do I allow them to change my language? Yes or no? They also went with yes. Do I allow them to make me eat um, the meat that they want me to? Well, they decided no. In many ways, there wasn't really rights or wrongs. They just, they, they sat, they prayed and they went with some things and they didn't go with others. And so, you know, it applies to every single area of life. You might be thinking about work, you know, do I go back to work or don't I? The, there might not be a right or wrong, but what you can do is you can you can trust God in it and you can come before him and ask for wisdom and you can pray and then make a decision. Do I move house or not? Do I have another child or not have another child? Do I take that job or not that job? Do I take that placement or not that placement? Do I marry that girl or not marry that girl? All these things, there's, there's kind of no right or wrong answer, but we're called to have a present faith, trusting that God is more committed to our long-term joy than even ourselves. What that means is that we face crisis by taking one step at a time, speaking with God along the journey. Present faith is like navigating through life where you're sitting at the driving wheel. God has given you free will. You can choose whether to turn left or right. But knowing that actually God is right there in the passenger seat and you can choose. Are you going to consult him or not? He's got great wisdom and, and vision and he can discern and he knows all things. And, and so we can, as we're driving through our lives, we can talk to God every moment of the day. We can speak to him. And that's exactly what Daniel and his friends did. They prayed regularly. They spoke to God and then and then they made a decision and they went through it. And I want to encourage you to do the same. Daniel had a present faith that made taking steps with God throughout the journey. And that journey was up and down as rulers came and went and as accusation came and went. And as all sorts of dreams and visions came and went. He trusted in God day by day, not looking to, to the future and, and panicking or, or anxious, but, but trusting him. Of course, at the end of this dream, he, he lays exhausted and, and he's fed up. But then he gets up and he goes and serves the king who is ruling over him. It's because he's got a present faith. This faith comes from having a future hope. Ruler after ruler, trial after trial, accusation after accusation. His hope remains steadfast. He can see that, yes, there might be a long way to go. The passage says 2,300 evenings. But like I mentioned before, apocalyptic writing is not literal, it's symbolic. It's like last week in Daniel chapter 7, we, it said it's going to be times, uh, time, times and half a time. Well, how long is that? 2,300 days is just short of seven years. 
But again, we know that through time that this spanned several centuries. What the writer is pressing on Daniel and has revealed through the book many times is that God has numbered the days of all the kingdoms, powers and authorities of this world. God has numbered the days of of our lives. Nothing is unknown to him. He knows. And so he's able to say with certainty, well, it's going to be this length. And it's just showing the accuracy of of what of, of the God is over it all. And that gives Daniel hope. Daniel has seen in multiple visions the Son of Man being seated with God, the Ancient of Days. And he's seen this rock formed not by human hands coming and smashing the the mountains of, of society that we create and filling the whole earth in this future glorious kingdom where multitudes will worship him, where there'll be no more sickness, death, dying, disease or decay. And we will come together in harmony in loving the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He's seen that and he's seen Jesus seated at the right hand of God. He's seen the spirit working and though he does not see any of this come out in his lifetime, he has a sure and certain hope that it will do in the future. And it helps him to stay grounded in his present faith. You know, God has revealed himself to the world through his son, Jesus, in order to bring a hope that just as surely as Jesus came and died and rose again, do you know what? He will come again and he will bring with him all the multitude of people that put their trust in him. And that can be me and you when we do exactly the same. And so Daniel had this future hope, but that hope could have been killed in in multiple ways. Here's two reasons. Here's two killers of hope, as it were. One is comparison. I've noticed that um, for myself, uh, we go on lots of walks, you know, what else is there to do really? And um, we're walking around the countryside, it's beautiful, uh, we're walking down the canal and you see all these wonderful houses, beautiful gardens backing onto the canal, lovely like laid lawn, these, these big mansions as we go across the, the forest and in the woods and we see these, these wonderful homes. And do you know what? It's so easy for me to assume that those people living there must be happier. That they, 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 it must have come easy to them. Oh, if only I could live in a house like that, that somehow I'd be happier. So easy for me to compare. And yet I don't see the long working hours, the, the, the struggle and strife, the, 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 the startup businesses that were created to, to get there and the, the, the many years of maybe living on very little. We don't see that. We don't see the loneliness that, that can sometimes come from um, having such high powered jobs and positions. We, we don't see the effect that it has on relationships and children. We don't see the tears or the sacrifice. We just can look at other people's lives and just assume that it must be easy. And that if only I could have that, then I'd be better. Looking at other people's lockdown experience you might look at other people you might look at people who are furloughed and think oh I wish I could be furloughed getting paid but not having to do much and, and those are furloughed might look at people that have jobs and think oh I wish I had my my job because at least I've got security and I know it's going to last and I've got something to do and we can look at other people's situations and we can compare and do you know what it kills joy we can do it with cars, we can do it with relationships, we can do it, you know, with spouses and partners, we can do it with children as we look at, oh, you know, well, it's all right for them because their children are really well behaved and I'm sure, you know, it's much easier for them. I'm really struggling because my children are a nightmare. 
we can do it with grades. If only I had that person's brain and, and they're intelligent or that placement, then I would be better off. We, we can do it with all sorts of different things, clothes. We, we can do it everywhere. And it's even harder now because not only does it happen when we go on our walks, but you get back home and you open up Insta or Facebook or Snapchat or whatever it might be. And, and you can see the best of everyone else's life on, on their phone. You can browse a catalogue and think, if I just had that kitchen, then I'd be so much better off. Certainly something that I've been doing as I've been spending so much more time in our kitchen. Comparison is a killer of hope. And it would have been easy for, for Daniel maybe to compare himself to other people that had been exiled with him or other nations that hadn't been exiled at, at all and think, well, why, why can I have been like that? Why can I have been like that? Another killer of hope is the lack of gratitude. There's a, a, one of our children's stories is called A Squash and a Squeeze. And in the story, it's about this old lady who lives in like a in like a one bedroom house. It's a small house. And she complains to this white old man that her house is a squash and a squeeze. And she asks him, won't you help me, please? Um, and so the wise old man says, well, why don't you take in your hen? And she says, that's a curious plan, taking my hen. And she takes in the hen and, and of course it causes a bit of chaos and lays eggs. And, and she goes back to the wise old man and says, why, you know, this hasn't helped. You know, well, my house was teeny for one and it's titchy for two. And my house is a squash and a squeeze. Won't you help me, please? And so he says, well, take in your goat. And so she takes in the goat and then takes in the cow and takes in the pig. And as you can imagine, the house is chaos. And after there's five or six animals in the home trampling over each other, she goes back to the wise old man and says, this is horrendous. You know, it was tiny for one and it's, it's like cramped for five. And, you know, what, what should I do? And the wise old man says, well, why don't you take them, all the animals back out again? And so she takes all the animals back out and, and then she's sitting in her home and it's peaceful and it's lovely and it's clean. And she's like, oh, this is wonderful. And she thanks the wise old man. And, you know, the, as you can imagine, the, the essence of the story is that when we are grateful for what we have, then we have joy and, and hope because we really appreciate it for what it is. And lack, lack of gratitude. Lack of just enjoying what we have can really kill our hope. It can kill our joy. You know, the essence of what happened in that story was that she had fresh perspective of her house and her belongings. She had a different perspective of what it was to, to, to live in that home. And she could really enjoy all the intricacies of even though it was, it was small. The antidote to hopelessness and to anguish and to fear anxiety is having heaven's perspective. The dreams and the visions revealed to Daniel gave him heaven's perspective on the situation that was going to encompass him and his people for the next 400 years. Instead of being in despair, he was given heaven's perspective and that brought him hope for what was to come. And so rather than being perplexed and angry and fed up, and though he lay exhausted for several days in his through the, these visions that he's been having and through the visions that we're reading through over these few weeks, he's gaining perspective on life that God is over all things, that the days of rulers in kingdoms and oppressive states, they are numbered. And there will come a day where the king of kings, the Lord of lords will rule over it all and there'll be a new heavens and a new earth. And that perspective brings hope. 
It means that even in the face of sickness, illness, disease and death, we can have hope. Hope in the future and that helps us to stay present in our faith today, to to fight our battles, to to go through the things that uh, are in life. It's so easy to not be assured of what we hope for and to keep looking down at ourselves and, and at the measliness of what we have. Having heaven's perspective, being grateful for the things that we do have, not comparing ourselves to to the best of everyone else, but just just loving people and being thankful for what we have. All of these things can help us to to have a certain faith and a sure hope in what we hope for. Reminding ourselves that God loves us, that he's for us, that he sent his son to, to live and die and rise again for us. That gives us hope that he will return again one day. Just as he came before, that he will come again. You know, we're reminded of this perspective. And Hebrews 11 says this, faith is confidence of what we hope for. Present faith is confidence of that future hope. And it's it's the assurance about what we do not see. Yes, the things we see, the disease, the lockdown, the virus, the, the, maybe the, the lack of the things that we might want. Yeah, we see all those things, but there's a bunch that we don't see. God, we don't see him with our physical eyes, but we can feel him through our spirit. We can read about him in scripture and that helps us to face the day in faith, living for a future hope. Daniel is living in this mixed state throughout this book. He's living in the now and not yet. He's living in the now because God has revealed himself to him. And so he can have a present faith. But also he's living in the not yet. He knows there's a day going to come where this seed, this one from Adam is going to come and and he will come to this earth and, and he will have a kingdom that's an everlasting kingdom. But that hasn't happened yet for Daniel. All of these events are in the future for him. And so he has this hope for, he's certain of what is going to happen. He's sure of it, but it hasn't happened. And, and so he has, he's living in that now and not yet. Just like Daniel, we are living in the now and not yet. God has revealed himself to us now through scripture, through his son Jesus and through his spirit. We know it and we can have a present faith that helps us to face the day. But we also live in the not yet because Jesus hasn't returned. There is still struggle and strife. There's still disease and decay and death in in our lives. And so we, we have that tension, but we do have a future hope that he will surely return. It's a certainty that we can trust in him. And so we live in the now in faith with a future hope. This, there's going to be a glorious day. And so at the beginning, I asked you this question. Are you fed up? Are you annoyed? Are you tired? Are you exhausted? Are you bored? You know, Daniel, he was able to act in integrity, humility, grace, honesty. He, he acknowledged his feelings. He lay down exhausted. He, he probably would have wept and cried. He acknowledged that it's important for you to acknowledge how you feel in this situation. Maybe write it down. But then he got up. And he, and, he, and he pressed on in faith. Do you know, as the people of God, we can be a light in the darkness and we can show people that this hope means something in our lives. And so we're going to face the challenges ahead of us, trusting in God with this certain hope in him that it's going to be OK, that he will turn all things to good for those who love us. And even if he doesn't, even if we um, suffer during the season, do you know what? We can have 
peace in our lives. And we can communicate with our school. We communicate with our bosses, our colleagues, with our neighbours, with humility, dignity, respect, grace and honour because he is with us and because we trust him and we have faith in him. 2 Corinthians 4 says this, we might be hard pressed, but we're not crushed. We might be perplexed, but we're not in despair. We might be persecuted, but we're not abandoned. We might be struck down, but we're not destroyed. We have faith for now and hope in the future. And so we get up and we face the day. Come on, let's, let's pray together and invite him into our lives again. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you so much, Lord God, that you have revealed yourself to us just like you did to Daniel. Thank you, Lord God, that um, you have also shown us that there is a glorious future to be had in you. And I just pray for every single one of us right now, wherever you are, however we're feeling about the situation that we find ourselves in, this unexpected circumstance. I just pray, Heavenly Father, would you fill us with your spirit? Would you help us to know your goodness and your grace in our lives? Would you help us, Lord God, to be a people that walk in grace, humility, integrity and, and honesty, who, who show people the, the hope and the peace that we have in our lives? And I pray now for those who don't know you, for those who who perhaps have, have heard what I've talked about and, and want to have this, this joy and this peace that you provide us. I pray, Lord God, that right now you'd reveal yourself to them. If, if that's you, why don't you invite God into your life? Why don't you say, God, reveal yourself to me. I'm, I'm seeking you. I'm trusting you. Pour your life into mine, I pray. So, Father, we commit ourselves, our lives, the Guildford and beyond into your hands and ask you, Lord, to have your way amongst us. Amen. Thanks for listening. We're meeting online every Sunday at 10am. Head to hopechurchguildford.com for more information. We look forward to seeing you.